Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So this little bit would work a lot better if I could sing, but I will try to speak in the rhythm so that you get what I'm going for here. And now the end is here. And so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway and more, much more, I did it my way. It'd be great if I had that nice baritone that could really belt that out. Listen, listen to the second verse of the song. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much, much more. I did it my way. Whether you remember this song uh, because it was sung by Frank Sinatra or Elvis or Aretha Franklin or Nina Simone or even Sid Vicious, it's iconic and timeless. Most of us know the song My Way. I looked it up and, and on Spotify, there are 163 listed covers of that song. That's not 163 different, like Sinatra on four albums. No, no, that counts as one. 163 different artists have covered my way. The song is 55 years old. That means that three times a year, somebody says, you know what the world needs? The world needs another version of my way. I think what's so attractive about the song, I think why this song sort of crosses every generation, why we all sort of know it, is it captures our modern spirit so well. No matter what regrets or obstacles I face, I can do it my way. I'm the captain of my ship. I chart my own course. I can create a life that is full and fulfilling. And more than that, I can do it on my terms. More, so much more, I do it my way. So here's my question for you this morning. How's that working out for you? How's that going? How would you rate your contentedness? I mean, there's a lot going on all around us. You all good with that? Or sometimes you feel like a dog sipping coffee in a burning house and saying, this is fine. This is fine. This is not a problem. Here's my guess. My guess is that you're not very content. My guess is that you're pretty restless. Seems like the goalpost of happiness keeps on getting moved. I know. I know because I feel that too. I feel that too. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 1, the first psalm 
in the book of Psalms. And it stands apart from all of the other Psalms in a specific way. Psalm 1 is a wisdom Psalm. It's not a hymn and it's not a prayer like so many of the other Psalms. It's trying to directly teach us something. It's as if right before the movie starts, in fact, this I saw this the other day. I went and saw Top Gun and, and it was really strange because before the movie, there's like this 40 second bumper where Tom Cruise comes on the screen and says, I'm really glad you're watching this movie. Thank you. We made this movie for you and we're really glad that you're here watching it. I've never seen a movie where they like talk to you about the movie before the movie. In a way, that's what Psalm 1 is going to do for us. It's the foundation of everything that's going to come after. It's the wisdom of the Psalms. In fact, if you took this Psalm out and put it into Proverbs, it would work there as well. But instead, it stands at the front of the prayer and hymn book of ancient Israel. It is first in line because it lays the foundation of everything that's going to come after. It's first in line because it tells us what following after God should look like. This psalm is seeking to commend to us joyous and continuous engagement with the word of God. If we want a sense of rootedness and contentment, this psalm lays out a path for that, how to find that in God. But the path requires us to do something uncomfortable. What the psalmist is going to ask of us is to let go of our freedoms, let go of our greedy grasp on what we think we have power over our destiny. It requires that we do not do things my way. And so I'd invite you, if you can, to please stand as I read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,500 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be seated. feels a little bit different to read a psalm instead of two chapters of Mark like we have uh, in past weeks, a little bit less standing in the middle of the service. I hear that. Uh, And even as we read this psalm, there's a fair amount of simplicity to it, right? There are two ways to live. One's called blessed. The other is called wicked. So do the blessed things and don't do the wicked things. That's it. That's the sermon. I'm only half kidding. This psalm has an elegance in its simplicity because it does just lay out and show us these two different paths through life, these two different ways that we should go. 
And one of the things that the psalmist is implying is that the way of righteousness is the path less traveled. And that was true 2,500 years ago, and it's true today. And the psalm begins with a beatitude. It begins with the word blessed. Now, if you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a while, it's easy for that word to just kind of bounce off of us. We remember that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we said, yeah, 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 that's, that's kind of just one of those things that the Bible always says, kind of one of those things that we always hear. It kind of, kind of feels to us a little bit like, you know, it's a, blessings are the nice little things we get from God. It's like a nice little treat. It's like when I take my kids to get their hair cut and at the end they get a dumb, dumb lollipop, right? It costs the haircutting place like three cents and yet my kids are super stoked about it. I just paid way too much for a child's haircut and the reward that I get is a three cent lollipop. My children are happy, my wife is happy and I'm left looking at my phone going, I paid what? Sometimes we think of blessings as just those nice little treats that God gives us. Most of the time, most of us who are Christians know that blessings are not some sort of cheat code that allow us to get whatever we want from God. But this psalm is doing something more. This psalm is doing more than what our minds normally fill up with when we think of blessing. Because what this psalm is doing is tying blessing back to something bigger and more important. If we follow the psalmist's advice, if we heed what he has to say, we have the chance to experience this blessing. So what is it? Well, this psalm is intentionally patterned after the beginning of the Bible. In fact, in verse 2, he starts to talk about what the people of Israel called the beginning of the Bible. They call it the Torah. And he says that, that that's what they meditate on. But even more than that, it is tying Psalm 1 to Genesis 1. Because after God creates the world and says that it's good, after God creates Adam and Eve and says that they are good, after he places them in the garden and says that it is good, what does it say that God did for Adam and Eve? Genesis 1 says that he blessed them. And it's the same idea, it's the same word that the psalmist uses here. He gives them a content and peaceful life through their vital connection with him. So the blessing that the psalmist is holding out, what he is offering to us is nothing short of garden living is living in the presence of God just like it was or as much as it can be like the Garden of Eden. Living in harmony with our creator and his creation. Living contentedly. Living in rest. Just like we were created to be. He is offering us that sort of peace and he lays out a path for that. Now, for those of you who were, were here last Sunday night to hear um, Dr. Noble's lecture, I spoke to many of you. I know that many of you left feeling a little grim. And I think that's exactly the word that I would use for the feeling that many of us had walking away, grim. But part of the path forward, part of the way out of that darkness, part of the way through that swamp is what this psalm 
is pointing out to us, what this psalm is inviting us to. It's not a new technique. I'm not going to show you three cool tricks to live like Adam and Eve this morning, but rather it's a path towards who you and I were made to be, how we were created to be. And I don't know about you, but if that's the treasure at the end of this map, then I want to see what the path is. And I want to see where this is going because I want to see what it would look like for our lives to be patterned after garden living. And so he begins the psalmist after he tells us what we're going for here. After he gives us the destination, he lays out how we get there. He lays out what this life looks like. It doesn't look like walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. This book of Psalms is filled with poetry, which means when we read it, we have to go back to our our 10th and 11th grade English classes. We have to dig up and remember what it is we were taught about how to think about poems because most of us are not reading poems on a regular basis at all. But one of the things you might remember when you read poetry is that symmetry, things looking the same, Similar numbers are important. One of the things you might remember is that repetition matters. And so as this psalmist begins to teach us what this path looks like, he lays out three things. First of all, he shows us a progression of actions, walking, standing, sitting. And it's pretty obvious to see that there is a momentum change as you go from walking to standing to sitting. But then he ties that sort of slowing down to three different types of sinners. A lot of times we just think, oh, poetry, they're just using flowery words. They're just using different words for the same thing. If you read uh, wicked and sinners and, and, and uh, scoffers, I wanted to say scoundrels there, but that wasn't it. But as you read those words, you kind of are trained to think, oh, this is just This is just three words for the same thing, but just like there's a progression from walking to sitting or to standing to sitting, there's a progression between the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer. Because the wicked is someone who intends evil in their heart. The sinner is somebody who carries out that evil in their life. And then the scoffer is the person who not just is like the sinner in that they do wrong things, but they are people who actively mock those who are trying to do the right thing. And so as we see the psalmist laying out this path, this progression of action, it's a clear picture of how sin works in our lives. It slows us down on the path toward garden living. We go from walking to standing still to sitting down. Beloved, sin doesn't come at us through the front door. Satan is is way smarter and way more subtle than that. It is like a rodent. I don't know about you guys, but this termite season has been extra terrible. Um, I have talked to several of you who are either dealing with with termites or other rodents these days. And, And it's just, it's gross. You know, they start swarming out at night and they're, it's gross. And they weasel their way into your house. We dealt a few years ago with a problem with rats. They can fit through a hole the size of a quarter. Yuck. 
And that's what sin is like. It's not coming in the front door. It's sneaking in the unsecured gable that has a small hole in it. I mean, look, nobody is going to come up to you at the line at your favorite coffee shop here in St. Pete and say, hey, would you like to abandon your Christianity? Come with me. That's, nobody's going to ask you that. And maybe on the very strange chance that somebody did, none of us are going to be like, oh, good point. Do you have snacks? Then I'll go. No, that's not how our hearts are drawn away. Our hearts are drawn away in the same way that termites destroy our house. It is small. It is subtle. It is internal. He pulled... Satan works to pull away our affections and thoughts from God and his story and his word, which is why the psalmist pivots almost immediately to describing things in the positive. What does he say? He says that we are to delight in the law of the Lord. The blessed path, the path back to garden living living is to delight in the law of God. Now, when you hear this, think about this in terms that the early readers of this wood, the early and ancient Jews. When they talked about the law, they were not simply talking about a list of do's and don'ts. They called the first five books of the Bible, the law of God. There are a lot of do's and don'ts in the first five books of the Bible. I mean, Deuteronomy is pretty much just that. But as taking as a whole, all of those five books, all of the five books that start our Bible have so much more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It has a story of God's creation of the world. It has God's first covenant promises to us as mankind. It has God's covenant faithful to us in spite of our sin. It reminds us time and time again of God's faithfulness to his people in spite of their unfaithfulness. Think of the story of Abraham, the father of the faith. Not once, twice, he lied about who Sarah was. Not once, twice. Think about Jacob. Jacob's entire name means shady. The story of Jacob's life is shady. He, He steals his birthright from his brother. He steals the financial blessing from his brother. He's so bad off that his mom says, you can't be here anymore. They're gonna kill you. You should go hang with my brother. And then after his uncle steals time and years away from him, he pays him back by stealing his cattle. These are the fathers of the faith. And yet what do we see through these stories again and again and again? God is faithful. God is loving. God is forgiving. And what the psalmist tells us is that we are to delight ourselves in this story, in the story that is rooted in these first five books of the Old Testament, the covenant promises, the faithfulness of God. So instead of fixing our minds on the toxic cloud of of outrage and distraction and lust and pride and envy that burrow into our souls through these small holes, let's delight in the story of God and his redemption. Let's delight in the story of restoration that God is writing. Now, this isn't some wonder drug. This isn't some take one pill in the morning 
and you'll be better in five days. No, this is something the psalmist says that we need to do day and night. It needs to be repetitive. It needs to be something that is always on our mind. So what I'm telling you is, don't go outside, pick up a daily prayer project and think if you just read the daily prayer project every morning, that everything's going to be good. You're going to get blessings and life will be nice. That is not what I'm saying. No, the path towards Eden is joyous and continuous engagement with the word of God. Not only do we meditate on it day and night, not only is it the content of our daydreams, but more than that, the psalmist compares us to a tree planted by a stream of water. He gives us this analogy of what our life is like when we are following back to Eden. And by the way, don't miss this. One of the descriptions, one of the first descriptions we have of Eden is that there is a stream that runs through the middle of it and a tree planted by that stream. Let's not miss that the psalmist is echoing the description of Eden as he tells us what the blessed life is like. But more than that, the way that he describes this tree shows that it is a cultivated tree. It is a tree that has been planted by the river. This isn't a tree that grew up from the sapling. This isn't something that was like, oh, I guess we have a new oak tree now because one of the acorns finally made good. No, no, no. This tree has been cultivated. It is intentionally placed by the stream. Blessedness and the path to garden living isn't something that happens by accident. It happens through the cultivation of our decisions. And the result of those decisions is not just the rest and contentment that most of us are chasing, but it also ends up blessing others. The tree gives forth fruit. The leaves are never out of season. It's providing shade and shelter and sustenance to others. When we start walking down the opposite path, when we start walking the opposite direction of the wicked, we become a balm and a help to those around us. This psalm is not just telling us what the path looks like, but it's telling us the result of it, what we become when we start living in the way of Jesus. Not that we get some sort of material prosperity, but it says that we prosper because we are rooted and able to weather the storm. We're able to continue on because of God's covenant faithfulness, because God's infusion of covenant life. And then the psalmist abruptly shifts. He goes really quickly from this metaphor of this tree, this beautiful picture to, but it's not that way with the wicked. In fact, the way that the Hebrew is written uh, is emphatic. It would be like us sending a text in all caps. Not so with the wicked. The wicked do not have a root system. They do not have a connection. In fact, they're the opposite. While those who are following the path back to the garden have the roots and are a tree, the wicked are like chaff. That's the husk on the outside of a kernel of wheat. It is so uh, light and it is such a piece of nothing that if you throw wheat up in the air, the husk will just float away and the kernel of wheat will drop to the ground. And when it floats away, it's such a bunch of nothing that you don't have to go clean it up. It's not like when we, when you mow your yard in Florida and it gets on the sidewalk and in order to be a good neighbor, you got to go out there and, and blow off the 
the you know grass clippings or if you like me and don't have a blower you just like use your lawnmower on a tilt <laughs> it is less than those grass clippings that are blown away by the lawnmower on the tilt the wicked have no rootedness the wicked have no permanence they disappear into the countryside and so while the wicked may sit in the seat of scoffers now they will not be able to stand in the face of God's judgment. Not only does their life on this side of the judgment lack contentment, it lacks rest, but it lacks the entrance into the eternal rest that God promises to those who follow after him. God looks on the rooted trees on the path to the garden. He looks after them, but he burns away the chaff as fire starter. And this is how the psalmist concludes his description of the two ways to live. The Lord looks after the way of the righteous. The, the idea here is that he is taking care of it, but for the wicked, they will perish. Beloved, we can do things our way. We can continue to try to do things our way, but it's getting us nowhere. If we're being honest, most of us are struggling. Or, Perhaps we could heed the wisdom of this psalm. We can aspire to delight in the story of what God has done. We can root ourselves in the truths of the law, the truths of the psalms. We follow after Jesus, who not only was the only person to ever perfectly fulfill all of the commands of this psalm, but he was also the person who received the, the perishing of the wicked. Jesus was the tree planted by the streams who grew up, but then because he took your place and mine, Jesus is also the one who was punished as the wicked. The psalm describes both the way of life and the way of death of Jesus. But it is that very life and death and resurrection of Jesus that lets loose the power in your life and mine to see this be different. It is God who invites us to live and walk on this garden-shaped path, shaped by his word. It is our joyous and continuous engagement with his word that roots us in contentment and rest. It is the Holy Spirit who is our guide on this path back to Eden, path back to what we were created to be all along, path away from the sin-wrecked world that we heard so much about last week. This path back is a path of joy. It's a path where we are flourishing what God has made us to be through the redemption that he has bought for us. I don't know about you, but that's a path I'd like to follow. Can you join me? Let's pray.